0: Three is a magic number, yes it is, it's a magic number, somewhere in the ancient mystic trinity, you get three as a magic number. Hello, and welcome to Third Time to Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third film in a franchise. This is Season 1, Episode 1, Superman 3 from 1983, directed by Richard Lester. I'm your host, Mike, and welcome to my brand new show. This is the pilot episode of Brand New Podcast, Third Time's a Charm. Like I just said in the intro, I will be watching the third film in a movie franchise and discussing it with my friends. And joining me for my very first show is my friend and co-founder of the Cage Club Podcast Network, Joey Lewandowski. Hey, Mike. Hi, 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 hi. Joey, thank you very much for being here. We are recording this live in person. Yes, we are. It's a rarity. So this episode is going to be a little different because it is the first episode. Thank you for being here. Would you like to list your credentials on the podcast network?
1: You may know me from Mike's other podcasts like Cage Club and Keanu Club and Watch the Throne and Cinemakers, or you may know me from my podcasts with Joe, too, like Zack Attack, Too Fast, Too Forever, Magic Mike's, and Boyfriend Material.
0: Yes, that whole new wave of shows coming from the two shows. The plan for this show is to be a six-episode season. I'm going to try and get through three seasons. We'll see how they go. I'm pretty sure we'll do it. Our first movie is going to be none other than 1983's Superman three. Before we even get into this movie, which I know I had you on because I know we're going to kind of agree on a lot of stuff here, what are your thoughts on trilogies or the third part of a series
1: in general honestly I've never really thought about it until you said you wanted to show like i never thought about how that falls in a franchise in a series looking at the list of movies you're going to talk about over the next coming months and years I realize that there's a lot of different ways a third part can go I think generally speaking a third part will either really perfectly complete something Or it will really mess things up, like there's a really good one, and then, you know, sequels are always the hard thing, but then it's like, once you get past the sequel, then what do you do? And in the case of Superman, it's apparently just not show Superman, (laughs) but I don't want to jump ahead to that yet. We're watching it right now, and the opening scene is on, and it's one of the few times in the first hour of the movie that Superman shows up. but. I never really thought about the importance of trilogies. I I love the three as a number, you know, going to one of our favorite Nicolas Cage movies, Adaptation, where Donald writes the three. So the three, the number three has a very important significance to both of us, I think. I'm just excited. The movies that I signed up for over these next seasons are ones that either I love and I've seen every film in the franchise or I haven't seen any of the movies in the franchise or I've only seen the third one. So, like, I'm going to be sort of coming from a lot of different places. Cool. Yeah, you
0: know, growing up, there weren't a lot of trilogies. I grew up in the 80s, and we had the Star Wars trilogy. That's not even a trilogy anymore. It's definitely a make-or-break moment for a series, I feel. like If you could get over the Part 3 hump, and you use that movie to transform your character and change your story in an interesting, compelling way, then you have a franchise that can just go on forever. Like Fast and Furious, which I will eventually get to, uh, that series morphs and changes into something completely different that still works. Because of number three. Yep. And as we'll go along, I think I just have a general love for the third part in a movie. I just love how many different directions it can go. It has opened such a wide variety of options. And it's always fun to see how different people interpret that. And that's why I wanted to start with Superman 3, because this is a pretty interesting interpretation <laughs> of Superman. The legendary story about Superman 3 is that the producers or the owners of the franchise, the Salkins, who were sort of like the broccolis as far as protecting their interests go. They are a very heavy hand in running the Superman movies early on. They saw Richard Pryor on The Tonight Show and he was joking about the movie and how he wanted to be in a Superman movie and they took him seriously. That's amazing. And they pitched him it and he was like, of course, like I'd be an idiot not to do this. This is
1: post-accident, post-catching on fire. I looked that up. Yeah, three years after this came out. Yeah, so.
0: so it was within his comeback. I mostly knew Richard Pryor from The Toy or comedies with Gene Wilder. For him to be in a Superman movie now doesn't really make a lot of sense, but back then it, it kind of made sense. Not as much sense if it was just some other comedian or another actor, but what are your thoughts? Let's start here with Richard Pryor.
1: What are your thoughts on him being cast in this film? Well, so what's interesting about Richard Pryor in this movie is that it's basically a Richard Pryor movie with Superman. It's not a Superman movie with Richard Pryor. Like, There's so much focus paid to him. I love it, but it feels like it's so out of place. Now, what's interesting to me is that since we first talked about doing this for this podcast, I saw Superman 4, which is <laughs> another very quest interesting for peace. thing. A quest for peace. I was actually thinking about how when Superman movies have subtitles like Dawn of Justice, it it usually doesn't (laughs) bode well. It feels almost like it's one of those cases where they had a movie, like they had a computer hacker movie, and then they wanted to make a new Superman movie, and they combined those scripts. I don't know if that actually happened or not, but it feels like it's two very different movies and it also feels like a movie that they sort of remade for 1998's The Avengers, where they also hack the weather. <laughs> well, not only that, but more recently, Geostorm, right? Also, yeah, I mean, I did not see Geostorm. I will not see
0: Geostorm. This movie also, there's a plot thread in this that it over in office space. Oh, yeah, the, uh, and that, half a com- cent that comes up heist. so early in this movie, like 15 yeah.
1: minutes in, Richard Pryor has that, and that's basically what... Jumpstarts his career. It's a catalyst.
0: Yeah. Well, you're partially right in that there was a Superman 3 planned. The order was going to go Superman 1. Well, Superman 1 and 2 was going to be one giant film. And Richard Donner said, I can't, it's impossible and the Sulkins are like, Well, you're fired and Donner's like, You can't fire me, I quit and they basically Richard Lester was on set the whole time as a mediator between Donner and the producers because they weren't talking to each other. And as soon as Donner quit, Lester stepped in, finished Superman two uncredited, and was carried over to this. Oh,
1: house. that's why there's the Donner cut the Lester cut of Superman two. Okay. So Lester
0: finished Superman Two and was then hired to direct this movie, who had previously been screwed over by the Sulkins before, took him to court over movies and not being paid, and still made this. But there was an idea planned. There was going to be a Supergirl film before this, and they were going to introduce her, and there still is a Supergirl film out there. It was made with Helen Slater, huh. and it's not half bad. She grows up trapped in the Phantom Zone, escapes, comes to Earth, fights an invisible dragon. What? (laughs) Jimmy Olsen shows up. Is it the same Jimmy Olsen? Yep. Same, in-universe. Okay. So they had a film planned where Superman and Supergirl were sort of going to team up, the big bad guy was Brainiac, and he was going to send sort of a avatar out into the world to do his bidding. Then the Sulkins were watching The Tonight Show, they saw Richard Pryor, and they're like, you know what, let's shove him into this movie. Nick's a lot of this Brainiac stuff because we don't have the budget for it. This budget was about 35, 40 million. The first two were like 55, 60 million. They didn't have the budget. They didn't have the time. So it got condensed down into half a Superman movie and half a Richard Pryor comedy. And it feels that way. It even feels like the Superman stuff, which is very played for laughs, which bothered me this time around more so.
1: Well, so what's weird is that notoriously Superman 4 suffered from budget issues and that there's like 30. Two minutes or something of deleted scenes on the Blu-ray because they had these grand ambitions for that movie. They just ran out of money. So to find out that this movie ran out of money is also remarkable. I mean, that that makes sense why there's so many scenes that take place in a computer lounge or in like an apartment as opposed to Superman flying. But it feels like when there's special effects, it looks good still. I think. Yes,
0: I will agree. It does look good. I credit that to Richard Lester. I think he can shoot a really good movie. I feel like he salvages this. The Richard Pryor stuff is good, but it's just out
1: of place. Well that's why I love this movie because it doesn't it doesn't make sense as a Superman movie.
0: I think it kind of does. Like in keeping in the spirit of Part 3 no less. Like it goes back to Smallville. Like the one of the the main Superman story is revisiting your past, going back to Smallville where you grew up. Like do you still fit in? Can a modern Superman still relate to his roots? They try to wedge in themes and and things about that. And then you have the Webster family plot with the evil brother and sister. The not Lex Luthor. However, more Lex Luthor than we've ever gotten in any Superman movie, I would easily argue. It
1: took me halfway through this movie to be like, oh wait, that's not Lex Luthor. Yes. Because they're basically like, you're a Lex Luthor type. This is one of his bimbos, but she's actually just your sister. No, 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 There's the brother-sister, then there's the bimbo. Then
0: there's the bimbo, yeah. Who's actually like a
1: super genius that never
0: reveals herself. That's that's
1: the crazy thing, is that (laughs) this guy who's playing not Lex Luthor and his sister their plan is to kill superman so that they can run the world get rich on oil control the weather basically be like global terrorists yeah however in this plan which includes killing superman they know nothing about superman they're like wait how do you know so much about this guy like the bimbo knows how to kill him it feels like richard Pryor is the kind of guy who's like just living in metropolis and like oh i read about superman in the newspaper i know these from krypton the bimbo is like this genius who apparently knows everything about everything. Knows about kryptonite. But how is it your plan to kill Superman and ostensibly not know that Superman is a thing before you start your plan?
0: So, I think that comes down to this movie is out of continuity. This stands alone on its own. You do not have to have seen the previous Superman movies because clearly these characters have not lived through it. There was a (laughs) huge fight in Downtown Metropolis between Superman and Zod. Lex Luthor in the first movie, shot a missile into the San Andreas Fault and caused an earthquake in California. But that was undone, wasn't it, or no, was that not Oh, undone? yeah, yeah, I guess they wouldn't remember that, technically. But there were still three, you know, rogue Kryptonians circling the globe yes. for a good year. That is something that I feel is intentional, that they wanted to sort of hit a reset button. Because this is so geared towards children, that's another thing. The tone has shifted entirely towards children, comedy, lightheartedness, You know, nobody's going to die in this movie. Everyone is going to just go to jail.
1: Now, I think you were probably too young. Did you see this in theaters? Because you would have been like three or four.
0: I I was about four. This was a huge play, though, in my house. Like, you know, back in the day, there were very few VHS tapes, but the Superman movies were on VHS and we'd always rent those. And so I had seen this movie a lot. There's a lot of imagery from this movie seared into my memory, such as the Superman on Clark fight which is amazing, and then <laughs> the evil robot sister at the end, which is horrifying. God.
1: Because you're right, like, it is kid-friendly. Like, there's not any real violence. I mean, like, the most violent thing might be in that Superman versus Clark fight when Superman heat visions that magnet or whatever off, and, like, it bonks Clark into the ground. But, like, he just gets up. Like, you know that he's not going to die, but there's no blood. I don't think anybody in this movie bleeds. I think it's just... Do you bleed? It's... <laughs> <laughs> It's very kid-friendly. What's actually kind of interesting to me is I was looking on Letterboxd, and the most popular review for this movie, surprisingly, is a five-star review about how this is more of a comic book movie than any other Superman movie, because the colors are so bright and vivid, how it feels like, you know, this over-the-top thing, and I feel like that's what you're saying. It's close,
0: in terms of accessibility towards minors. Richard Pryor is there for the parents, but interestingly enough, he sort of became a acceptable for children to to watch and listen to also what bothers me most about the comedy slant like the the way i feel like they went too far is how superman is treated the use of his powers like it starts off with a really badass rescue at the chemical plant you see him walking through flames you see him saving all these people like he's dealing with a massive crisis as dumb as it is when he freezes the lake like at least he's got some quick thinking and he's trying to resolve this Then you see his powers used as a punchline, like when they go bowling, you know, and he has the super sneeze and it's just a joke. Or in the beginning of the movie, during the Rube Goldberg opening sequence. yeah, Yeah.
1: Which is the craziest thing, that this is a movie, in theory, this is the third Superman movie that he arrived as a baby, even if he followed the Smallville TV show logic of things, he didn't develop his powers until high school or whatever, right? He's a 30 to 35 year old man in this. He's been Superman for half of his life, if not more. How are you that unaware that you can't extract a newspaper? By the way, you're a newspaper reporter. Like, you touch newspapers every day. How do you not know how much strength to use to pull a newspaper out? That said,
0: I love it. He uses the same strength he would to pull some guy out of the sunroof when his car is flooded. But just, he can't control his powers? I mean, it would be interesting if they tried to work in I'm too alien to use my body or something.
1: But... There are other scenes where he can use his powers and control his powers so well like the bowling scene where he basically sneezes and has such control over his sneeze that he bowls a strike and explodes the pins which nobody bats an eye at by the way and then later in the movie after bad superman spills all the oil good superman uses his cold breath to basically get the toothpaste back in the tube and blows it all back into the boat which shouldn't work well
0: he's blowing it in as he's using his heat vision like he's blowing and he's closing it up and then he's using his heat vision well, i mean
1: even before he gets to the heat vision thing when there's just oil sitting on top of the ocean <laughs> for days and he just blows it into the boat into like the oil tanker and then you know i guess is breathing and folding and a soldering with his heat vision he has remarkable control of his abilities in some scenes and zero control of his abilities in other scenes. I wrote down so many questions about this movie this time of watching it. Because there's so many holes and jumps and, you know, things that don't make any sense. And yet, I love it.
0: Well, I think that's also part of the charm of it being a comedy, and we just saw some strings there. Part of the charm of it being a comedy is you can make it stupid and get away with it. You can have... Superman do a quick change in the photo booth which is a great bit you know yeah. like that bit works great yeah the problem with that is that it's in the middle of this extended opening sequence which is like a human Rube Goldberg of people accidents colliding with each other and it just takes it too far like it's a nice idea yeah. but it goes on way too long and it's designed it seems like for a different movie and there's no real climax to that either Superman pulls the guy out of the car saves one guy from a car yeah the rest of the time he changes is used as a gag too he jumps in the back of a cop car and comes out the the other side
1: in the front seat
0: there's just this oblivious nature to the attitude of the average citizen here that you're right maybe this happens before the first movie i'm not sure it just exists in and of itself it still works because superman is generally a very lighthearted character you know like he has wackier adventures than batman and when they try and treat him
1: too seriously it fails kind of miserably but what's also weird is that there's other people in this world who don't have an obliviousness to Superman. They're just, like, so take him for granted that in the scene that's on TV, that's what we're watching right now, he lands and he's like, what can I do to help? And the foreman says, get this man a helmet, and then turns. He's like, oh, it's you. Forget the helmet. Which I like as a bit, but it's also like, hey... There's this fire that you're struggling to put out. Superman is here to literally save the day, and you're like, oh, it's you. Okay.
0: Well, he's taken away jobs.
1: Makes Superman great again.
0: Well, I feel like that's a Lesterism. There's lots of little snide comments about society in this film that are lost because it's subversive in that way. This is way more Batman 66 than Superman 83
1: so what's weird and I don't know I didn't get this sense while watching the movie but like some of the best episodes of the X-Files some of my favorites some fan favorites the ones written by Darren Morgan and in those episodes Mulder is made out to be the biggest bumbling idiot Darren Morgan unabashedly loves Scully makes her look amazing in all these episodes and Mulder is just like this goofy guy who can't do anything right not only is inept and like unqualified for his job but basically how are you still alive at this point in your life like how did you not kill yourself in some terrible accident it feels like sometimes people are looking at superman like that like oh like like what do you like it just it's so strange and like i understand that if superman exists in a world in which he's around every day doing things you might not be blown away like you were the first time but like you're still seeing superman why are you not amazed every time you see him
0: You sound like a joke from a famous comedian, but it's like when you're in an airplane and people are like, I'm stuck in this fucking airplane, but it's like you're flying in the sky. You're literally in a chair in a sky. Like, you should be amazed every day at modern convenience. And I just feel like everyone takes Superman for granted. Like, they're used to him. I feel like that comes into play a little bit when he goes bad. He really turns on Earth and has some, like, deep-seated animosity towards humanity that
1: doesn't do anything to, like,
0: because they can't take it too far. I'm shocked at how far they get to take it in this to be quite honest i think it's the redeeming quality of this film is evil superman it makes up for plot holes the lack of interaction between superman and his enemies until the last scene i feel like it makes up for
1: like a lot of that stuff a lot of this hokey smallville stuff that landing right there is the coolest shot in the movie i think because he comes in it doesn't look there's wires like when i saw it last night i was like ah this is amazing Do we ever see when Dark Superman's suit
0: gets darker? I noticed this time because I'm watching a cleaner copy. It's gradual. When he's first exposed to kryptonite, he's fine. And, you know, the bus falls and he doesn't catch it. And then when he goes to Pisa, immediately the first thing he wants to do when he turns evil is straighten the Tower of Pisa. It's a little darker. And then you see him at the Olympics blowing out the torch. And it's the same sort of darkness and then when you see him at the bar he's basically wearing his black suit drunk superman the best just like of one of the most time. amazing images that's what i'm saying it's like this movie has the right idea they get away with it but it could be so much cleaner and there could be just a few tweaks to this to make it like a
1: truly like epic movie Can we talk about drunk Superman? As far as I know, within the world of Superman, and I'm sure within the world of every comic book, they just make up whatever rules they need to tell the story. But as far as I know, in the world of Superman, he should not be affected by alcohol because his metabolism is superhuman. He shouldn't be able to get drunk. In this movie, he gets piss-ass drunk. Yes, Like, he gets so drunk, and it's wonderful. In that same way, sort of, kind of, is that if he has sex, and, you know, in certain movies, like the newer ones, he does have sex with Lois... She should not live. The force, the malrats' argument. Yes, yes. <laughs> should explode her uterus, and she should absolutely. Die. So I guess in this world, that's not the case because he's able to get drunk, so he's able to sort of be more human in other ways. Here's my take on that.
0: He was exposed to almost kryptonite, so he's in a very weakened state. We need to talk about the almost. <laughs> okay, so the Vulcan satellite that Gus uses to create a geostorm, he also uses to trace Krypton, and he can analyze the elements of Kryptonite except for 0.57%.
1: Right, which he's smoking a cigarette. He's like, oh, it's just it's going to be tar, which to me is baffling.
0: Okay, so to me, this is <laughs> what it means to me. Don't smoke, kids. Turns you bad. Turn superman bad that's the way i read it is like tar is in cigarettes we don't want kids smoking if superman has tar in his system it's going to make him an asshole and you don't want to be around that kind of person he's going to get drunk he's in a weakened state so
1: he can absorb the alcohol but what what does this tar kryptonite actually do it doesn't take away his powers it just makes him a dick and lets him get drunk
0: Well, it, like, uh, suppresses his identity, right? Like, his ego comes to the forefront, and he's just super aggressive, like, really mean, like, looks down on everybody. It's literally bad Superman, which I think is a great pitch. I mean, that's where you gotta go in part three. You really gotta swing and say, what do you do? What can we do with Superman? It's like, turning him evil is perfect. And not only that, he stays
1: bad for, like, a good 30 minutes. You know what I would have loved... Is if Richard Pryor goes back to not Lex Luthor and says, look, here's 99.43% of what kryptonite is. There's this little last part that I'm not sure. And then they try like five or ten things. We have like a montage of them finding ways to get Superman to hold some form of kryptonite. And like one makes him way more powerful. Like one just changes his hair colors. Like all like different things. But the one gag I really feel like they missed out on was Superman changing his clothes too
0: fast and wearing them backwards by accident. Like, that's where I felt this movie wanted to go,
1: is, like, his capes on backwards. I do want to say, Christopher Reeve is a terrific Superman. Say what you will about the quality of superman movies over the last decade or so but i feel like every superman they've cast is a pretty good superman like christopher reeves a good superman brandon routh is a pretty good superman henry cavill's a good superman a lot of it is just looking the part and they all look the part like that's the problem with superman is that like It's a difficult character to get right in the movie because to beat him, you have to go to such insane lengths that it's not like Batman, who's just a a rich guy, like from, you know, in Justice League, the Flash (laughs) asks him, what's your power? He's like, I'm rich. And that's true. Like, he's just a guy. Who's in good shape, unless you're bloated Ben Affleck, he's just in good shape and smart and rich, but you can beat him. Like you can, if you're Scarecrow, you can, you know, gas him. Yeah. Whatever. Superman, you need to have external factors in terms of either like a semi-god like Doomsday or kryptonite, or something else alien. Otherwise, it's just not fair. And I think that's why it's so difficult to get Superman right. So, like, a lot of it is looking the part, which these guys do, and then being able to sort of have that Boy Scout ability, which they all sort of do. But, you know, even, like, when Superman 4 is not a great movie, and Christopher Reeve is on record saying how much he hates it, how bad it is, he's still good in that movie. And also, Annette O'Toole as Lana Lang is incredible in this movie, super cute, and also just perfect. In a movie, the first of two movies in a row where Lois is like, peace out, I'm not (laughs) working with Richard Lester. I'm going to Bermuda and then France. I'll be in the beginning and the end of your movie.
0: She shows up for the double date in four,
1: but you're right. right. Like they but have Lana great steps up here, And Lana is so good.
0: Yeah, they have great chemistry. There's no doubt about it. And a lot of their stuff is shot like a play, like in one long ass take, you know, like we're watching them clean up after the reunion and there's no cuts. And you're right about Reeves. I mean, I feel like the thing that he brought most to Superman was just who he was in life. Like the guy was just amazing. And I think that's why he got typecast as Superman. Superman because he was such a good guy and really lived the part. It's unfortunate, obviously, what happened to him with his accident. But even after that, you can see, like, he was still the spirit of Superman, you know? And he really did corner that role in a way that it's always been hard to think back and say, there's no way we can't reference this.
1: What I do like about the shared universes of Superman is that every instance is separate, but there is a history of taking actors and actresses from one and putting them in a different role. Like Annette O'Toole becomes Martha Kent in Smallville. And Reeves even showed up as a doctor in Smallville at some point. Exactly. So, like, they're different worlds, but I like that there's, like, this recognition of what's come before. Sorry to jump topics so we're watching the movie. How is this not Lex Luthor's lair? this is so (laughs) legendary. Well, it was a different time, right? So the first one came out in the 70s and
0: Luther was very underground kind of criminal and now we're in the 80s and this is the dawn of Trumpism. Webster, look at him. Like It's not enough that he has a gold house. His is platinum. Better than gold, you know? The best of everything.
1: Where in this movie is Lex Luthor? Is he in prison? Yeah,
0: he's supposedly in jail. Because he, he gets captivated. broken
1: out of jail at the beginning of four
0: by Ducky. Right, by his nephew, <laughs> Lenny. The end of the last movie, he was brought to prison by Superman again, and he's back in there. Like, why box.
1: is he not in this movie even once, like, reading a newspaper in prison?
0: Well, I heard there's a whole bunch of gossip about this film. One rumor said he had such a horrible experience working on the first two Superman movies and that even that when Lester came in to do reshoots he would not return. So all the stuff you see of Hackman in the Superman 2 was shot by Richard Donner. He did not have a nice experience working on those films okay. in part due to the way everything was being run and the tight schedule and the demands on him and it was not gotcha. what he signed okay. up for. Another rumor is that you know he was busy. That he was just a very high demand actor at the time and he had a Better role to do than Lex Luthor for the got a third lot of time, time on his hands now. I can tell you that. I think he's semi-retired, but you got to oh, admit, like <laughs> he went on to do pretty well for himself after not doing Superman three. Robert Vaughn was safe because he was the man from Uncle, you know, he was coming from TV to play Webster, so that was a huge step up for him. Uh, he's bigger than you might imagine. It's hard to really put into scope. Uh maybe he was it's like Clooney going to movies at the time, you know, it would be like someone okay. of that stature who sort of ran his show and was like the forerunner of that network and everything. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. I mean, one thing I like about Lana is this is to me I like this as a I don't know, i got to come up with a term, but a part three-ism or something is the new love interest. They're just introducing new characters that are mined from the past of the film. So we saw one shot of Lana maybe in the first Superman movie when they were teenagers. We skip over Smallville basically for the entire first two movies. So I really enjoy how this movie at least tried to go back to Superman's roots and try and find any material it can play with and I feel like this Lana character is way different than Lois but you still can see why Clark would
1: be falling for her Lois is the worst like Lois (laughs) is just like a Harry like it feels like she has no time for herself let alone Clark or Superman Lois is motivation or Lois's like main focus in these movies is I want to write newspaper articles I want to go on vacations I want to hang out with Superman nothing else matters Lana is just a single mom holding it down in Smallville raising Ricky pretty well Ricky from Smallville and she's adorable she's good at what she does she basically puts on the entire like she runs their reunion she cleans up the reunion by herself Everything about her is, like, she's almost, not quite, because I don't think this would ever fit into a Superman world, but, you know, to use what we were talking about a couple months ago on Watch the Throne, she's kind of a a manic pixie dream girl. Like, she's like this perfect woman, (laughs) and especially when Lois is literally in two scenes in this movie, hey, I'm going to Bermuda, hey, I'm back from Bermuda, you're like, oh, right, I can see why Clark, or Superman, or Kal-El, or whatever you want to call him, is in love with her.
0: What I also like about the dynamic is that in the previous movies, you kind of had Clark chasing
1: Lois. And in this... I just just had an idea. What about Shark Kent? It's Superman where he's a shark. Could
0: Aquaman ride him?
1: He can talk to to the sea.
0: I was really mad Aquaman did not come up upon shore riding a badass shark. (laughs) (laughs) Why did he surf a parademon and not a shark, for Christ's sake? Anyway. So, like, Clark would chase Lois in the first two films, but it's not necessarily, like, Lana's chasing Clark, but it's a different dynamic, and it's fresh, and it works, and it's nice, and I like it. No, she doesn't need Clark, which is what's great. Here's my issue with the whole thing. She mentions early on, and we get a sense of how strong she is as a person, and she wants to move to Metropolis and make it there, and Clark is encouraging her to do that. That needed to happen before the last scene of the movie. (laughs) That needed to happen way earlier. Like, it's cool they get to Metropolis, and the first thing they see is drunk Superman. I mean, it's not cool for Ricky from Smallville, but I mean, it's cool for us, the audience.
1: I have a geographical question. Metropolis is ostensibly New York. And Clark and Jimmy take a bus to Kansas?
0: Yep. Clark and Jimmy take a bus because the Daily Planet is cheap. Lana
1: takes a plane. But that's like a 25-hour bus ride.
0: Well, take it up a Perry way. He doesn't even want to pay up for this stupid jingo bingo scam going on in the background of this whole thing. Which, things are set up pretty well in this movie. Yeah. The first scene takes place on the unemployment line with Richard Pryor and his trusty yo-yo and you get everything from that scene that you're gonna need about Gus for the entire movie like all he wants is a job and that's great When Clark saves the chemical plant, you introduce the acid
1: that's going to destroy the massive supercomputer at the end of the movie. Which, when Superman gets it, he's like, in that scene where he gets the goo, he basically puts a pause on fighting these bad guys in the Grand Canyon. He flies to Kansas, because that's the closest chemical plant that he knows of. Well, he
0: knows that plant has that material.
1: And he goes and gets a vial. It's basically, you know, like a big... Like a cylinder. it's It's like an Amazon Alexa, like an Echo container size of goo. And he takes one and then flies it back. And for some reason, he's like hiding it behind his leg.
0: He's hiding it behind
1: his cape it's the weirdest but they don't know what it is
0: so it's a specific type of acid that's not volatile until it's heated and then it forms a gaseous cloud which rains down acid rain that's what the guy was saying he's like this whole place is gonna go it's gonna create a cloud of acid rain that's gonna eat half the eastern seaboard or some bullshit so the idea is that it's harmless until you heat it and then it has a chemical reaction
1: that melts whatever it touches so it's Chekhov's acid rain
0: Basically. Okay. I don't have that much of a problem with it as much as this, you've got the Brainiac computer that can analyze anybody's weakness.
1: Oh, you mean the computer that can do everything a normal computer can do and a thousand things it can't do?
0: Yeah, so like this thing can analyze Superman and generate kryptonite but it can't tell what this acid is it's it's at that point it's ai it's skynet right it's tapped into everything it's running itself it's a living being and it can draw from every data bank on the earth as primitive as they are in 1983 it's still you know pretty mighty
1: it can't tell what he's hiding behind his cape well i feel like he's just in the computer's blind spot it's got one camera
0: there's something about the cape
1: what works is how fast everything
0: is happening your mind is going oh the, it's this thing from earlier and before you know it there's a crazy robot lady and people are flying on the ceiling and Superman's being turned into so a robot so much
1: happens in the span of eight minutes that like I look down and take notes and I look back up and I was like oh I need to watch this entire scene again because it's from like an hour 37 in this movie to like an hour 49 I think so it's like this <laughs> 11 or 12 minutes Superman is getting Krypton raid so he gets Atari missiled well, so that's before this, that's even before this, is when he's flying through the Grand Canyon, and they're shooting missiles at him, and they're playing an Atari game to actually aim the missiles. When he's actually there, he's getting a light shines on him that's kryptonite light. Richard Pryor stumbles into a fire axe that just happens to be on the computer, which he uses to take out the camera, which then stops the kryptonite ray. Superman flies to Kansas, gets the goo, while Superman's gone the woman gets basically pulled into the machine becomes a robot who can then shoot metal beams yeah that super flies back basically stops her then superman gets grasped by computer wires that are so strong that even superman can't pull out of it and then he manages to uncap this gaseous clay which oh yeah also by the way this machine was shut down because Richard Pryor basically unplugs it and then swallows the power cord. Oh yeah, he had the the fail-safe pin. He's the only one who knew where the, the pin was. Which is perfect. And it turns off, and then the machine goes sentient and then just takes not just power from the Grand Canyon, but blacks out America with how much power it's using. And then only then, after this acid rain thing, things sort of return to normal. The biggest repercussion of all this is that Lana and Little Ricky are on a subway Oh in my God, that's terrifying. And the power goes out.
0: That to me is one of my most basic fears is just to be trapped on a subway with the power out.
1: But let's roll back a few steps. I needed to say all that because that all happens with no downtime. It's just, thing 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 yeah, it's a
0: marathon they sprint to the end basically first let's just man, i don't know if we mentioned we might have earlier this is a two hour and five minute movie i did not I remember that coming in i don't want to say it feels it but you can tell it's like it long. does not cut to the chase and that's something i think i was feeling about like some of this smallville stuff like she needed to be walking down the street with clark in metropolis get mugged and then he shows up as superman it makes a little more sense than superman's gonna show up in the middle of fucking nowhere on smallville and stop this thrusher
1: from so here's running the, over little here's the thing ricky this from smallville is that they're on a picnic date or whatever it's not a date it's a date it's a whatever ricky somehow runs a mile and a half away he's chasing buster the dog is by him and then the dog is suddenly Back by the picnic, it takes Superman 30 seconds to fly there?
0: I thought Superman carried the dog and Ricky together.
1: No, I don't think so. Clark rescues the dog. It's possible. It's
0: more troubling how clumsy Ricky is, that he would trip in the exact spot where he would land on a rock.
1: It's basically Lassie.
0: Yeah, it's a poor use of Superman. Like, that's what i said. Most of it is punchline Superman power stuff. The super hearing, I never caught that before in my life, but you see a little sound wave vibration emanating from his ear. This is just the punchline, like, Superman's there and Clark missed him. Like, that's the joke. Clark
1: always misses him, though.
0: I know, and that's always the joke. But don't worry, he talks to him a lot. That's another instance here which makes me feel like this isn't necessarily Superman 3. This is just like, you know, we would call it a reboot now because it has clearly nothing to do with what came
1: before. But it's a reboot with the same actors.
0: It's an episode. You know what it kind of feels more like, which was being done at the time, which I equated to Temple of Doom, which was like... first are doing was, that for this, are you? We're doing the third one, which is oh. The Last Crusade. Okay. So in Temple of Doom, which is the second one, takes place before Raiders of the Lost okay. Ark, and Lucas is like, "Ah, oh, it's not a sequel. It's just an episode. It's just an adventure that this guy had. That's why there's so, really no cross-continuity so between are
1: those one, two. I haven't seen them in a while. Are one and two connected
0: Yes, everything for Superman 2 about Zod and all of that is set up in the very first scene of Superman 1. You have Jor-El condemning him to the Phantom Zone. Right. Yeah, so it was oh, all one, one giant one movie. movie. That's why yeah.
1: that's okay. Because 3 is on its own and 4 is on its own. I was just wondering cuz if each movie is independent, then this is sort of more forgivable. But the fact that 1 and 2 set this precedent of like the shared world where like even just the fact that characters remember what happened from the last movie. Yes. Here it's like, "Oh, nobody knows anything." The story of this for Clark is that he's going back to Smallville to write a newspaper article about his high school reunion. That's his through line in this. In the meantime, Superman does stuff where he's a punchline or whatever, but, like, it does feel like sort of an issue of a comic book as opposed to a continuation of the first two movies. Yeah. Which I don't think is bad. No. I just think it's kind of weird. It's a little
0: strange because I feel like there's expectations already set up. You're expecting to see Gene Hackman, right? You're not expecting this other guy. You're not expecting Richard Pryor to have more screen time than Superman in his costume. They just explored really strange avenues. And, and that's what, you know, That technically that's what you do with part three is like you got to explore more and reach out. And this is very hit or miss, but when they hit, I feel like they hit on a lot of good ideas on where to take a character. I mean, Superman one and two stand alone. Let them stand alone. They just really wanted to make any kind of Superman movie.
1: Did this movie make money?
0: It did make some money. Yeah, I got a couple stats off of Wikipedia. So for forty million, it made eighty.
1: Okay, and I'm sure, like you said, it was probably big on home video for yeah. a lot of people, just home because video, I mean, you could watch kids wear this table. Richard Pryor in an oversized cowboy hat because that's comedy. Going from Superman one, Superman one's a very small story. Superman two is a bigger story where you have the Phantom Zone people. Yeah. It's interesting to me that they don't try to go bigger, that again, they go smaller. They go even smaller. And it's just, there's a couple who have bad ideas, but no ability to follow through. They find a computer hacker who does their bidding. That's the plot. And then Superman 4 is not a huge story either. It's Lex saying, I want to steal a strand of Superman's hair and make an evil Superman.
0: But he does create, like, a whole new super being (laughs) that has grander intention, I guess. So it's sort of like a a small,
1: big, small, big sort of crest, kind of.
0: Well, they wanted to go even bigger. The main idea was... In this one or in in four? In part three, the main idea... And you can see some of this in Supergirl itself. Supergirl's... When did
1: Supergirl come out? What
0: year? Supergirl was... Eighty four. Oh, next wow. year. Okay. The very next year. Okay. It is a bit more cosmic. You see other planets. She's in space for is a it while. Good? It's okay. Okay. It's better than I expected. I would check it out. Supergirl herself is awesome in it. The idea here was to go to space to see Brainiac out in space doing his thing, discover Earth, I guess, come to Smallville maybe, plant himself in the Grand Canyon, possibly. Send out little Gus robots to do its bidding. They wanted to go bigger. They just couldn't. They didn't have the time. They didn't have the money. They didn't have people who wanted to work for them. (laughs) You know, like that's the other thing. This property was basically caught in a stranglehold, much like the way Clark strangles evil Superman in the junkyard. There's just, you know, whatever they said, go. They want more Richard Pryor. Okay, we'll film it. You know, big floppy cowboy hat. If you think that's what's funny, you know, Richard Pryor dressed up like Colonel Sanders. I don't especially think that's funny, but they did. And take a look at Superman 4. It's not like things got much better than this. So kind of feel like it's a case of counting your blessings. I think the idea was to not necessarily do Superman 4, but just make the next Superman and the next Superman and the next Superman. You know, like you said, like comic book issues.
1: I think that's the benefit to not having like the DCEU or the MCU that like you're not setting up the Batman crossover or you're not setting up a spin off movie for Jimmy Olsen, like a gritty reboot or whatever. It's just like. It
0: feels more like Fox with their X Men stuff. It's just like we're just making issues of the X Men. They fall wherever they fall. The
1: actors, you know, and just it's what they're up to now. Right. They fall where
0: they may. They might not all fall in line with each other, the movies. But it's treated way more like Days of Future Past. It's like, this is just consider it a film version of a graphic novel, a standalone issue.
1: So I have a question for you. Toward the end of this movie... Well, actually, no, it's more toward the middle of the movie. This movie is very long. In the middle of this movie, after they give Superman the tar kryptonite... Yes. And Richard Pryor has to go back to not Lex Luthor and say, Hey, so it worked, but it didn't kill him. And his boss says... He didn't die. I asked you to kill Superman and you're telling me you couldn't even do that one simple thing. In that scene, or maybe it was before that, Richard Pryor is basically recapping to Not Lex Luthor Mm -hmm. this entire action scene that we see like two shots from. Yeah, Was that for budgetary reasons, do you think? Or just because this movie would have been like two hours and 20 minutes long if they showed all that?
0: Well, apparently, that scene is a version of what he did on The Tonight Show. They wanted him to literally do the bit he was performing to Johnny. Because I
1: also wrote down, do you think that he had a Superman chunk in a set, which I guess...
0: I think that's it. Okay, That's what I believe, is that he just came out and they said, Richard, just come out and do your Superman bit, and we're going to film it, and it's going to be in this movie, and, and that's the scene. And then they filled it in with those little bits and pieces and stuff. It's
1: kind of amazing. He's basically saying, like, this is what Superman did, and they show, like, a a half-second shot of Superman doing whatever, but, like, it's only two or three times. And I wasn't sure why, because it felt cheap, but not cheap. It was like, we're trying to save money and or time and also showcase Richard Pryor, but I was like, why are we hearing about something that we haven't seen? It was weird.
0: I mean, it did feel like it would have been its own complete action sequence or had Richard Pryor not been... Cast as the star of this movie when Christopher Reeves was the star and he was possibly just fighting a no-named
1: Do you think partner this, of Brainiac. Would this have been a better movie if they cut out all of the Richard Pryor stuff it was still the bad guy, but instead of being incompetent, he was also like a computer hacker or whatever. That there was no need for Richard Pryor. And that you also had that one scene in the middle. Like, Would that be better if it was like an hour 40 minus all the Richard Pryor stuff, plus that one action scene? I think you still need the Gus character in some form.
0: You need less of him, but you need that guy because he's the sort of moral conscience of this movie. Everyone's going to be struggling with their dark side and their light side. Gus, you know, he's going to do bad things just because he's struggling to survive.
1: Superman's going to end up turning evil.
0: Webster does things just to be bad.
1: That's what's also interesting that like there's this sense of right and wrong obviously within Superman that like in Superman 4 Lex breaks out of prison he brings Lex back to prison. Lenny, he's just like he's a misguided kid I'm gonna drop him off this this school. Reform school. school. school (laughs) In this movie Richard Pryor hacks the weather with a computer steals hundreds of thousands of dollars from a company does all sorts of reprehensible shit and at the end Superman's like hey, give this guy a job. It's like, what? Like, he doesn't get punished by anyone for anything.
0: Superman is like a nation unto himself. He even gets sanctioned by half the world in this movie. I don't know if you caught that, but when he goes bad and starts doing shit, like, there's a news report that says, like, all these countries have sanctioned Superman, except for Colombia because he saved their crops and stuff like that. <laughs> I think that's part of the issue, is the way Superman is written. There's not enough attention to him. While you can't, get rid of the gus character entirely it won't work unless you beef up the superman segments like he can't be in smallville this long he can't just be saving ricky all day like he can't be going fucking bowling all that kind of stuff can't be happening and especially well look he could do it if we see him do other stuff or at least it's alluded to he's still being superman around the world and doing his job well something that i caught this time around is like He doesn't recognize Gus from earlier when he handed him the kryptonite. And when he handed him the kryptonite, Superman doesn't recognize kryptonite. He didn't take it and immediately launch it into space, grab Gus, say, who are you working for? And super punch the shit out of him or something. The Superman character in this movie isn't acting like himself a lot of the time when he's supposed to be acting like himself. I'm not talking about when he goes evil and everything.
1: But this movie's written by the same couple who wrote the first two.
0: There were extensive re. I mean, Mario Puzo wrote a draft of the really? ar- Yeah of Superman the movie.
1: Huh. So Mario Puzo, I know from writing the books that The Godfather is yeah. based on. Did he write movies?
0: I think he was in. Yeah, he. I believe he was involved in the screenplays as well. All right. If I'm not mistaken, we'll
1: I'm not too
0: sure. I know no, he just kept writing mafia books. That's. We'll get to Godfather three, and I'll let you know all about Mario Puzo. <laughs>
1: See, he's writing credits on Superman 1 and 2. He doesn't have a credit on this one. Wow, okay, yeah. And then the other thing he's known for really is the Godfather movies and then also Earthquake from 1970. oh yeah it was like a big disaster film at the
0: time the stuff that these writers brought to the previous films is probably the more comical lighthearted moments the jokier stuff probably the stuff with lex Luthor and his bimbo and otis and you know all the goofy stuff that was kept in that donner sort of saturated in the real world to make it work because you get a lot of that stuff especially in superman 2 during the fight you know there's like during the super breath you have people rolling down the street in roller skates I mean it's still just as goofy as the opening sequence of this movie it just it's taking place at night and it's under the watchful eye of Richard Donner so it's just treated a lot better so I think those two were allowed to just sort of go wild and it's like what what would be hilarious for a guy who has all the money in the world like a ski slope on the top of his skyscraper can you just think of anything more exuberant that's just their style of comedy and then so like i don't think it helps necessarily well richard lester was born in america he's he's an american but he's a british guy let's just face it like he lives in britain his films are very british Is american yeah
1: Yeah, Richard Lester, most known for the Beatles movies, right? And also that whole book interview thing that he did with uh, Steven Soderbergh, right?
0: Yeah, and I even watched one of his movies. He directed A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, which was a popular play, and it was a pretty good movie. I mean, he's no Mel Brooks, is my point. Like, you know, I think they wanted someone like that, but his sensibilities aren't necessarily clicking through his Superman gaze. Like, I feel like he's looking through Superman as sort of a foreigner, an outsider, and it works at times, like, when he's out of step in Smallville, but it doesn't work in times as far as interpreting the spirit of Superman and what he stands for. Like, I need to see him do more heroic stuff and represent harder, I guess. I feel like a little bit of that is missing from here. It might have been an intentional thing by Lester, but it's something that is lacking that I got from the previous movies. I just want to see him being more heroic as opposed to eating dog food.
1: But well, it's good. It tastes good.
0: <laughs> and it and that is kind of funny. A lot of these gags worked better for me when I was a kid. I'm still getting a big kick out of this. My favorite part, though, is definitely just this Gus Gorman character. He's never appeared in comics before or after, which I think is a huge mistake. He is what I would call a technopath. I don't know if you're aware of that term. It's sort of like a metahuman classification. He doesn't know it, but he can just talk to computers. He's like Cyborg. Okay. But he doesn't need to interface anyway. He could just talk with his hands any way he needs to. Okay. Once I sort of got a handle on that, I saw this movie from like a different perspective. It it made it a little more fun than seeing it the last few times as an adult. I don't think they were thinking that, but it works if you think about it.
1: Because it's crazy that he basically learns how to computer program in this movie and then becomes the world's best hacker in the span of 10 minutes?
0: Yep. It's like The Force in Ray. It's just like this sleeping ability he didn't know until he touched a computer and then it woke up inside of him and now he can just do anything with it he's just a hacker genius this is very much on the forefront of all of that computer stuff like even nowadays like there's all these like rogue computer movies and it's like the dangers of the internet and like this it's is Eagle Eye to shout out to all his movies this is pre-net but it's still like we gotta keep a fucking eye on computers like yep. they're
1: gonna do some weird shit yep can we talk about the scene where it's bad Superman because yeah. when he first turns bad Superman It's after they have the ceremony in Smallville, and they go back to Lana's house, and Lana gets a phone call from her friend, not from the police, but from her friend, who says, hey, you're with Superman, right? There's a truck hanging off the bridge. And she tells Superman, he's just like, "Nah, girl, we're just going to hang out for a little bit. And they sit down, and it's so creepy. And then he's like, I always get there on time. Everything's like kind of an innuendo, and then he gets to the bridge, 15 seconds too late Like it's a bit weird <laughs> like he's almost still okay it's so uncomfortable and i think that's the point right that we saw yes. superman in the first two movies as this boy scout as this upstanding citizen as this american patriot and then here he's like me and lana we're gonna like bang one out real quick and then i'll I get to the bridge because like I always like i'm super quick like i get there That's also not sexy in terms of basically saying, I come quickly, (laughs) let's have
0: sex. No, he is totally just creeping up on her. He is on the verge of sexually abusing this poor woman. She's basically got this look on her face like, will Brad please come and save me this one time? Like, if he would only show up this one time, it would be great.
1: Which is weird. Like, does she ever see Superman again? I mean, she sees drunk Superman, Yeah. but then at the end of the movie, she's supposed to have a date with Superman. Dinner date, yeah. And then Superman bails, right? and Clark is like, I hope you'll settle for me. And then he gives her a five <laughs> dollars diamond <laughs> ring, just crushes out of coal, and it's not a romantic gesture. It's I weird. know, which is a mistake. The movie should have built to a proposal. But I don't... I would love that. But I don't know why... After the last two times you saw Superman, he was trying to seduce you, sort of against your will. He doesn't do anything, but it's not cool. And then you see him drunk as shit in public. (laughs) You're then going to agree to a dinner date with him? Well, he is good now me Bang Bang. It's good now. It's just this movie is filled with... It's a weird leap of logic.
0: Yeah, it's just convenience. Basically, I see every scene as kind of a joke. Like, in that there's a setup and a punchline. The setup to the end isn't so much like Superman coming in and apologizing and saying, I'm sorry, you know, I creeped up on you and I'm okay now. And Ricky, you know, he got my head straight by saying I was just in a slump. That's the way maybe it should have gone. But instead, the whole purpose of that scene is so Brad can misunderstand Clark proposing to Lana. That's the moment of that scene. It's not, here's a gift from my heart or Superman apologizes or anything. It's all like Brad coming in and going, what? And then getting flipped onto the dinner tray. And that's unfortunate that they go for the punchline almost every scene because that scene could have been a really normal moment. But because this is the comedy,
1: I wish it was easier to make movies and that they didn't have to worry about the reputation of like damaging the brand of Superman but like do like a noir Superman do like a horror Superman do yeah. a musical Superman
0: I don't know if there still is but back when I was reading comics there DC had like this Elseworlds series where it's just this takes place on a different earth and this takes place on a completely different earth in a different continuity or whatever and it's like DC do that man like I don't know how much better I could have done, but like your brand isn't doing too great at the moment. You may as well branch out and just get crazy. Do three Joker movies that have nothing to do with each other. Take a chance. Let's have two people playing Superman at the same time in two different movies or something.
1: I have some scattered notes about this. Can I ask you some questions? So in the opening, opening scene in that Rube Goldberg thing, or before that, so Richard Pryor sees the card that says become a computer programmer. And the phone number to call to become a computer programmer is Metropolis, because back in the old days they had like the, the two-digit, like, whatever. Metropolis 12345678 is the phone number. It's way too long. It's also, why is that the phone number?
0: I never picked up on that. I just thought that that was such good setup that right there in the first scene you get that he's going to be guided toward computers, and the whole movie is going to be about computers at that point on.
1: At one point, Lana calls Metropolis the big apricot. Yeah.
0: I think Is that, that a thing? I think that's a thing.
1: New York is the big apple, but that's the big apricot. At one point in this movie, Superman, or Clark, opens a door. There's a lot of this movie where Richard Pryor is just hanging around Smallville.
0: That's more happenstance. Like, he needs to execute his plan from a very remote terminal. So there's a Webco building in Smallville that he of course, uses. Of that Brad of
1: security. Yeah, okay.
0: and that's how he just misses Clark on the street, and yeah, he's spending time in Smallville. He's got like Just a coincidentally. Things.
1: Yeah. And then like, oh, also Superman's here. So at one point in this movie, Richard Pryor is down in his luck and walking through the street, and Clark opens his car door into him yeah. with what they imply is the full force of Superman. Super strength, yeah. He basically acts like he got ball tapped and then walks <laughs> off in like fifteen seconds. Because the way that it's shot, I think the sound effect or whatever, Clark like throws the door open and like it hits him full force. And it's like it's nothing. Like I feel like earlier in the movie, you know, without thinking he rips the newspaper, like this should shatter both of Richard <laughs> legs. And yet, it's totally fine.
0: Yeah, again, that's that's more slapstick
1: at the expense of his powers. So when Richard Pryor is hacking from that Webco. Remote terminal in Smallville. The things that he accidentally does first
0: because he's drunk off his ass in this Which, children's film.
1: I feel like in a lot of movies since then, when a character tries to get another character drunk, they will keep pouring them drinks and then they're gonna you know, throw the shot over drinking their shoulder drinking yeah. whatever. He's just straight up keeping up with Brad.
0: That's a big message too. Brad's drunk the whole movie. Superman's gonna be
1: drunk. You know, don't drink, don't smoke. Don't drink, don't smoke, kids. So when he's drunk. The first thing he does is there appears to be one ATM that just keeps. I was out shocked. Lots there was. Money.
0: I had seen this movie a lot growing up, and I still was shocked that there is an ATM.
1: Why? Because it's 1982. Well, I guess it's early. like it just
0: seemed extremely early to me. Maybe it's just because it's Metropolis.
1: He accidentally makes one couple's Bloomingdale's balance on their credit card, $176,000, this couple that's in this modest home, and the only reaction the guy has is he takes the grapefruit he's eating and smashes in his wife's face. But then he goes about his business like, okay, we're even now. She spent $176,000 in Bloomingdale's. I got her back with a grapefruit. We're good. My big question about that is, how long did it take that bill to get sent out? Because he presses a button. Well it's it's chewing up it's doing a lot of bloomingdales. Like they cut to like some printing factory.
0: We're seeing repercussions that could be happening days later. Yeah. All over America.
1: And then my favorite moment in this entire movie The third thing that Richard Pryor accidentally hacks is there's one street somewhere and he basically messes with all the stoplights. And then the best thing I've ever seen is the walk and don't walk figures get into a fight in their little home. And it's the greatest.
0: That is seared into my mind from when I was a little kid. As a little kid, I went to Norway one summer because I have relatives there, and they had the men on the stopwalk, and I lost my mind because <laughs> <laughs> I recognized it from Superman 3, and I was like, oh my god, it's, it's the walk, don't walk man. I finally get to see them
1: halfway around the world. The only other thing that I have is that one of the last scenes in the movie is when they get back to the Daily Planet, and Lana is now an employee of the Daily Planet, apparently. Lois gets back from Bermuda, and she's like, oh, Clark, I read your article. It was good. His article is, I went to my high school reunion, and is apparently good enough to, like, warrant discussion about it. In Justice League, the movie ends with Lois writing this, like, thing. Superman's back, yeah. That Scott Augerman on Twitter was like, her reward is writing the shittiest <laughs> <book> of <laughs> Kind all time. of, yeah. It's like here, it's like, I can't imagine. Because the reunion is incredibly uneventful. He goes there. Lana's like, here's the plates. I'm going to put food on the records. And then there's Brad, who's an asshole. And then there's the cleanup. And that's the reunion. I don't know how you turn that into an article at all, let alone one that's noteworthy enough for Lois, who was on vacation, to read it, remember it, and be like, oh, Clark, I read that thing. It was great.
0: Well, not only that, but apparently Lois was kidnapped on her vacation and wrote an even bigger story than Clark's that got the front page.
1: The fact that the Daily Planet would run a high school reunion story on the front page is bananas.
0: My bigger question is, where's the story about Webster trying to take over the world and building a supercomputer and half of America blacking out and and the oil and everything and Superman going back to being good? Like, Clark, that's your scoop.
1: Is one headline that we see when they're on the subway and the power goes out. The woman or the man next to Lana is reading the Daily Planet and says, Superman super again. So yeah. they already ran big, that story.
0: Okay, big <laughs> wow. But they didn't read about how he then went on to save everyone's life from Brainiac down there in the Grand Canyon. The guy who sent the Geostorm to Columbia, the guy who sent all of the oil to the middle of the ocean, the guy who's responsible for turning Superman evil. Like, he's just going to go to jail. Like, that's great and everything, but there's no story about it. Like, I definitely expected it this time to end with Lois saying, wow, I can't
1: believe I missed that
0: story. And unfortunately, we never cut to Lois on vacation getting kidnapped by
1: her taxi No, driver. but we do cut to the couple who won the vacation for the Daily Planet yes. to go down to South America. And even if the weather wasn't hacked, it would be a terrible... <laughs> it's like they're just in a village that doesn't appear to have electricity, that doesn't appear to have running water, and they are thrilled to be there. And then there's a monsoon caused by Richard Pryor, and they're like, oh, now it's miserable. Well, no, it was always miserable. That's all yeah. I got. That's all That's I have. That's 3. I all love right. this
0: movie. <laughs> I've got two or three little moments that stick out every time I watch this movie. I have to bring to attention when they're at the reunion. It's actually really well timed and it's really nice. Like when Clark sees Lana, they flash to her high school yearbook picture. Like they have these giant high school. I know if you ever been to a high school reunion, I would love. Reunion, to have...
1: I was thinking about. It. I want one of those props.
0: We had something like that at our high school graduation where they <gasps> blew up baby pictures. And then when Lana looks at Clark, they cut to his high school picture blown up on the wall. He looks like Superman. He's not wearing glasses. glasses. Yep. How didn't anyone flip through their yearbook and go, oh, Clark is Superman?
1: They make a joke about this in the new Wonder Woman movie. They're like, oh, like, you're going to put glasses on her like she's not the most beautiful woman in the world.
0: Then there's another moment very much like that that just calls it out is when they're on their picnic. Clark is wearing a Smallville sweater wrapped around his neck. And there's a giant S. So it looks like he's wearing his cape. Yeah. He's wearing his Superman cape in public in the town he grew up in where people know what he looks like. I mean, that to me is where I draw the comedy from. I don't feel that's like, intentional. I think that is intentional. you think that's intentional? Well, I don't think the, the yearbook picture is not intentional. I
1: think that's got to be. Okay. There's also the scene earlier in the movie where Richard Pryor is on the ski slope yes. on the top of the building and he's wearing that pink blanket around his back yeah, like yeah. it's a cape. I think they're very conscious of making characters look like Superman when they aren't Superman. That's a great stunt
0: when he falls off the actual building. It lands on the skis. Yeah, It it is kind of a very reverse Superman moment because there's a guy in a cape can't fly falling off of a building and he actually lives. Yep. So the last scene that really sticks out is the actual fight between Superman and Superman. Oh yeah, Clark versus Superman, yes. Yeah, you know, like when I was a kid, I was like, obviously he just split in half and he's fighting himself, but nowadays I'm not so sure having seen movies such as Fight Club and Being clued in to that type of storytelling, I look at that scene in that way now, that it is all within the mind, and we are seeing his inner battle. You know, it is very much sort of a narrator versus Tyler moment here, and the dominant personality will prevail.
1: Spoilers for Fight Club. I feel bad for this bimbo here because she's there as an object. Like, she's there to seduce Superman. But then, like, when he shows up, when good Superman shows up to the Grand Canyon, she's like, oh, hey. And he's like, I don't know who you are. And she's, like, devastated.
0: That threw me, too, because she's played more as, like, a subversive bimbo, where she's putting on this act as an idiot. But we see her reading, like, really deep philosophical literature at some points you know she every once in a while will blurt out like the answer and she blurts out kryptonite she turns on the machine at the end like gives herself away at moments that needed to be played up way more that would have been an earned moment you'd been like she's just so smitten with the image of superman and she's obviously banged superman too so she's you know she can't be banged by anyone else ever again i guess you know and feel that way once you go superman you can never go back People and characters in this movie, for the most part, are just going to service the joke. Just really quickly, super shifting gears here. I feel like there's a lot of weird stepdad things going on here. Like with the single mother, and then you have drunk Brad... You never as your stepdad, right? Right. But at least he's like loves Lana and wants to be with her. Then you have Superman Clark, who's literally two different people. Could yeah. never
1: be with her, but leads her on. But that's also like Lois too, like wanting to date Superman as a crazy endeavor. Unless you are an idiot, you have to know that he's also living a double life as someone because he's not always around. Or do people do people, people think, don't know that? I don't do people think, think that they're that. <laughs> that he's just Superman just somewhere
0: else. Well, in this movie, I I feel like yeah. I'm pretty sure he doesn't say, like, I've got a secret identity.
1: The whole movie has amnesia anyway.
0: Any way you can get Superman bad, I feel like, was a mandate. Like, it's not very well thought out, but once you get it, I think it's great. I feel like you would be a little lost if this was the first Superman movie. I mean, obviously, it's not intended
1: to be. I mean, I feel like it stands on its own to a degree. That's the interesting thing about what you're doing here, is that for the different Part 3s, in theory, every movie should be able to stand on its own, that you should be able to go see Superman 3 without seeing one or two. And I think you can, but I'm sure that in the scheme of things, from makes total sense on its own to makes no sense on its own, This is probably in the middle toward the no sense more than complete sense, I would think. I think there's going to be things that make way less sense than this. There's also going to be things that, to spoil something that we're going to do, the third Triple X movie, which I just saw. Like, there are characters that return from the first two, but, like, it's basically a reboot within the franchise. I think what's going to be the most interesting thing about what you're doing is that seeing if the movie will stand up on its own or how much knowledge you need to see. But I think it's interesting about this is that it's not like some random ass horror franchise like i know what you did last summer three or something like, not like a not halloween not friday the 13th whatever but like something that like only exists in the movies or whatever basically it's very conceivable that you don't know anything about it like you can't just see the third one and be like oh i get it he's part of the culture which i already. think is why it works better as a standalone than it should although i think it's also fine i think it's weird to start it's off it's super movie.
0: weird but I love this movie. There's even a Blade Runner poster during this fight at the junkyard somewhere, uh, which makes it even all the more better. Maybe he's calling out Ridley Scott, who knows? (laughs) But it helps to have seen at least one more. I think Superman one or two, Superman two is just incredible. I think that's like still top three or four favorite superhero films. If you can see him take out Zod and those guys, then you know what he's truly capable of when he turns bad and you're like, shit, like the only reason he isn't ruling the world yet is because he just hasn't gotten around to it. He is as dark as possible. They're going places you only go where you need to push the envelope. You sort of are sitting around going, you know, what if Superman was a fish? What if we brought in Super Dog this time? What if he had a super kid? What if Superman is evil? You mean crypto? Which of these elements can we actually afford to do? And this is one, you know, the split screen photography, the body doubling and all that. It works really well. I don't think you should watch this as your first Superman movie, but I definitely think kids would like this one a lot if kids are really into the cartoon and they like Spider-Man like this has way more of that kind of vibe to it that tone that they're going
1: for. So if you were showing to kids it'd be either this one or the first one, right? Like you, 2 is too dark and 4 is too weird.
0: Yeah. Even though I did see 4 in theaters and Loved it. I had no idea the difference between good and bad. What, like eight or nine? (laughs) Yeah, I was probably like eight back then. So I remember vividly seeing it. I remember people not liking it, but I loved it just because it was Superman. And I couldn't tell the difference between good and bad effects, I guess. (laughs) I think I just like that Ducky was playing Nintendo up in the penthouse. Oh, of course. A lot. That was really good. All right, Joey, so I've got a little bit of a segment here that I'm going to try out with I you. I love it. Let's do
1: it. I don't know exactly where this idea came from, but... Well, I... <laughs> no, I, I know exactly where this idea came from, is when we were doing Cage Club, and the oh, yeah, yeah. time we, we would watch another <laughs> movie, be like, shit, this was adapted from a book, too. And right. for some reason, as though what we were doing wasn't unhealthy enough as it is, you were like, what if we had a book club where we read the books these movies were based on? <laughs> and I was like, you can do that. I'm not doing that. And then, so I think since then, for the last two and a half years, you've had in your brain, let's not just watch movies and talk about them. Let's also read the books that these movies <laughs> are not even based on, but like either based on or like the novelization of. That's what's even
0: crazier is like somewhere this idea got totally deformed. I'm not even reading the book that movies were based on. I'm reading the books that were based on the movies. Yeah. So these are novelizations of the feature films. I don't know how I got here. This book, Superman three, the novelization is terrible. Did
1: you read I, the whole thing? I read
0: the whole thing. Who wrote it? Is it somebody you know? Never heard of this guy, William Knottswinkle. That's a great doesn't name. Doesn't sound
1: real. Author
0: of the novelization of E. T. the extraterrestrial. Novelizations were huge when I was a kid. I mean, I remember buying a couple of them and never reading them, but just wanting to own them because I liked the movie. I had the Batman novelization. I had the Back to the Future 2 novelization. I haven't even necessarily been reading all that much the last year or two, but I've decided to pick up these novelizations. And what's great and terrible about these at the same time is you get all of the inner dialogue. Are there pictures? There's a few pictures in the middle. Okay. Just like publicity photos of, oh, that's cool. of that's stuff. That's kind of cool. That's almost worth buying for C- Scenes from the movie. Is see the inner
1: dialogue of Superman or of every character?
0: Well, okay. So it starts out mostly with Gus. This is of Gus's course. book okay. as it's his movie. Sure. You get a little bit of Clark, some really weird sprinkles of ancillary characters such as the guy who almost runs over ricky from smallville you get like a actual backstory about how he was hung over the night before and fell asleep at the wheel in the book not in the movie okay that's the thing the more you go into this book the less you get of inner dialogue and elaboration and it just basically turns into like a recap screenplay which is kind of hilarious to read in and of itself i have way more passages here than i want to read but i'm just going to pick a couple of these and I just wanted to read to Go you some of this terrible book.
1: So this is some of Gus Gorman's inner monologue. You know what you should do? You should rank all the books you read from best to worst. All the books for this podcast. <laughs> so this is number one right now, but I feel like it's not going to be number one. I don't know that any you are going to be good, but I think that there's going to be some that are going to be like, okay.
0: Yeah, well, I also want to see if they have anything the movie's left out. This leaves a couple things out that the movie had in it. But here's a little bit of what Gus has going on. Page 29. Gus had built shortwave radios as a boy to monitor police progress in the neighborhood. When his uncle brought home a stolen adding machine, Gus had taken it completely apart. Hold on, a... hold on,
1: hold on, I'm sorry. You're introducing a thieving black man already? Like page 29. Page... Wow, okay, sorry.
0: Gus had taken it completely apart and put it back together again. When his father threw a saxophone through the TV screen, he'd been able to replace the tubes. Then he'd wired his own snooping device and lowered it into the bedroom of the call girl living below, which brought him to the attention of her boyfriend, a local gangland kingpin who gave him work as a wiretapper. Gus might have made a career of this, but after his employer was thrown off a building, Gus drifted out of electronics. His natural engineering ability faded into the background, except for an astonishing skill with video games. Those devious pathways seemed obvious to him. His Pac-Man scores were phenomenal, but of little social value. Kitchen Technician had become his career, until now.
1: This is, I don't, I'm already (laughs) done with this book. How many pages is this? It's hundreds of pages long. It's 220 pages. I love that this is how you got back into reading this, (laughs) is reading the novelization of Superman 3. This is some terrible objectification of
0: of women in the media. Page 34. What terrific story, asked Lois Lane, worried that Clark might be scooping her on something. Like all newswomen, she had the veneer of a mass-produced coffee
1: table and did not (laughs) like anybody getting ahead of her boy like that's not yeah it's not sexist that is objectification like she's a coffee table and we all know what it means when I say that women be coffee tables right? <laughs> no you do not all right that's okay this is some of Clark's inner monologue this is
0: all you need to know about Kent himself this is it.
1: Clark I mean okay so here's a question for you does the novel distinguish between Clark's inner monologue and Superman's inner monologue no or they, they're the same it's the same he always thinks as Superman he's
0: Kal-El basically yeah he's okay. never calling himself but he's thinking as Superman the alien okay Always questioning why he doesn't fit in. All that kind of stuff. Here we go. Page 52. So while you may be wondering, did the Man of Steel suffer these vague anxieties? Wasn't he, after all, able to leap this building in a single bound? The problem was... The role he played for so long, of bumbling blockhead, had solidified around him. He said and did things which weren't him at all, but which helped him get along, helped him to mingle with humanity. Did people need flattery? Fine, he'd flatter them. Did they need to feel superior to someone? Good, they could feel superior to him. Did they need someone to dump on now and then? Fine, they could dump on Clark Kent. All of this had not left the Man of Steel unscarred. That's really sad. It's so
1: sad, <laughs> dude! Like,
0: Clark is suffering it's something you never really get from the films that I feel like they wanted to portray with the new movies is like Superman makes you feel better than him or something like Clark makes you realize you're a better person you know you could look at Clark Kent and be like at least I'm not Clark Kent yeah so like it's really strange that he had sort of locked himself in this role
1: but at the same time I don't know reboot yourself (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, dude, you've been Superman for 10 years. You need an image change anyway.
1: What's actually really kind of remarkable about that passage you just read is that it makes Superman more human than any of the seven Superman movies that have come out.
0: Then you'll love this passage. I think this is my favorite passage of all of them. Page 65. Lana asks, You never married? Kent shrugged. I came close. The folly of past intimacy with Lois Lane pricked his conscience now. He'd thrown his great strength away like an old suit for the sake of one night's embrace, for the feeling of being just a man, not Superman. That was the law, that if he truly loved a mortal woman he must forsake his cosmic power. Gladly he had forsaken it for Lois Lane, and the very next day, a truck driver had beaten the living crap out of him. No, he must not let that happen again. What? <laughs> so in Superman too. Where he, have you seen Superman, yes. he relinquishes his powers yes. in the Krypton machine, the red sun thing, gets his ass kicked at a diner. Apparently it still weighs heavy on his mind to the point that Poor he will not Clark. be intimate with anybody. Wow. On page 85, Richard Pryor refers to someone as a jazz bow.
1: Well, that is I have
0: no idea what that is.
1: Probably sort of racist.
0: There's a lot of Clark stuff, like when he's eating the pate, it's a lot more of like, oh, I can't tell because I'm an alien. Is this pate or is it dog oh, food? Okay, since this is one of the best sequences in the movie, i got to read the ATM guy, because this blew my mind. I was reading this This part. This is the same
1: guy who's taking money out, and then before he leaves, another wad of money comes out and keeps coming out. That guy? Exactly. Okay.
0: Let's see. Page 118. As he hooked into what he thought was aerospace program, another computer far away clicked on. It was housed inside a bank, and just outside that bank, a man was withdrawing his plastic bank card from his pocket and walking toward the instant cash machine in the bank wall.
1: I just want to talk about how that is literally just, like, describing (laughs) the process of a guy going to take out money, but okay.
0: He had exactly 50 bucks left in his account and was about to withdraw it in order to engage in one last bout of reckless spending before jumping off a bridge with a horse weight tied to
1: his ankle. Wow. Wow. That guy is the most interesting guy in this book. The movie should be about that guy at the ATM. A suicidal, reckless spender who is saved by the drunken antics of Richard Pryor. Wow. This book has a very dark
0: tone to it. Like, it paints Smallville as, like, this horrible racist community. The big city is no better. I mean, really, okay, so this is, this is the... <laughs> if you can imagine how fast this scene is in the movie and what I'm about to read to you, when Superman is uh, presented with the key to Smallville. So here you go. <laughs> Mayor Ed Fogarty was clearing his throat at the microphone. Superman, he said, turning toward the Man of Steel, we all know you're not looking for honors and awards. Mayor Fogarty was not looking for honors either, having recently been indicted by the grand jury in a price-fixing scandal. What? And with much to hide as regards certain construction contracts he'd recently awarded, Mayor Honest Ed Fogarty sought only to draw attention away from himself and onto anyone else. The mayor of this honest small town is in a major price-fixing scandal and That's... being indicted.
1: I don't Well, Why? Why is that in the book? There's all
0: kinds of shit like that. Like, I'm sure if I had marked it down, the guy didn't just squeeze a grapefruit into his wife's face. I'm sure he had, like, a lot of other stuff running through his mind. I'm not going to, like, read How all much that stuff. How book cost? Two dollars. Oh, okay. It was, like, basically shipping. So chapter 16 is the evil Superman chapter okay. where he fights himself. That, that's the one, if you ever pass this book on a shelf somewhere, that you're probably going to want to read. I
1: can almost promise you that's never going to happen.
0: <laughs> okay, so here's just a little bit of dark Superman that I thought was actually kind of cool. This is one of the things maybe this novel does right, that it elaborates a little more on the mind of evil Superman. Okay. Page 157. He flew through the night sky, across time zones of the ocean, flying aimlessly, trying to sort out his thoughts the great sea heaved beneath him its powers like his own vast incalculable mysterious in origin and destiny he flew and feasted his eyes on his tempestuous nature and he exalted to know that he was the same unpredictable and to be turned by no man's hand i rule this planet he said to himself as he flew
1: wow he's really got a god comp i mean but we know that he has a god complex but like it's amazing that this book does things better than any of the movies, but I guess that's also the benefit of the book. But also the fact that like, the novelization of Superman 3 is getting Superman right is bananas to me. I think it just goes to show there's a lot of mileage out of this premise. The book definitely
0: lacks the comedy. I would not suggest reading it unless you've even seen the movie because the author doesn't do a good job of describing the scenes. Like, it definitely helps. I was reading, I was like, oh, this is this part because I've seen the movie. I know where I am in this book right now. But it is kind of remarkable that there are these elaborated upon moments that the movie chose to take this material and play fun with it. And the book kind of takes this material and goes dark with it. Yeah, man, so that's the end of that segment. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Oh, that's great.
1: (laughs) I actually take it back. That might be on the high end of what you're going to get out of these novelizations Yeah, because that was pretty remarkable.
0: It was a good one. Well, I guess that's going to wrap it up for episode one of Third Times of Charm. I want to thank my guest, Joey Lewandowski. Thank you very much for
1: stopping by. Always a pleasure. I'm just so excited for you to flap your baby bird wings and fly out of the coop on your own. I haven't even had my own podcast yet. I mean, I spun off with Joe, too. But you are still, I think, the only person on the network, now that Chris has Nico, you're the only one with their own show. So, I mean, this is a big step for any of us. So I am excited to see where this goes. I'm excited to be back once per season or so to talk about movies that I love. What I'm most excited about, it's coming up real soon, is for you to do the outro, because you've never done the outro on one of these. Oh my god. I don't have it written down. I might pre-record one and then tag it on at the end. Oh boy.
0: <laughs> let's give it a try, though. For all things Third Time's a Charm, go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. Or? Or at cageclubpod on Twitter.
1: Do you have an email address?
0: We don't have email. Wait, you let's make one K-
1: up. You want three at cageclub.me? Yeah.
0: Well, is it T-H-R-E-E? Email me at t-h-r-e-e at cageclub.me 3 at cageclub.me Also visit the Facebook page, that is, at Third Times a Charm page on Facebook. Until next time, I'm Mike, that was Joey, and this has been Third Times a Charm. 3, that's the magic number. Three it is, it's the magic number stuff and that's a magic number. What does it all mean? Coming soon to third times a charm?
1: Jaws 3D. The third dimension is terror.